Good evening. Will you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time that your people can come together and worship you. Lord, I thank you for Houston and him leading us in singing tonight. Lord, we pray that the songs that we have prayed and the prayer that uh, Glenn offered uh, to you earlier, dear Lord, we pray all of these things and all the things that we say here and now in this place and going forward are true and good and acceptable in your sight, God. We pray that you are pleased with what we do, how we worship you, and how we live our lives, God. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who gives us the hope and the courage to stand up and try again every time we fail. Lord, help us to do your will, and thank you for your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Tonight we're continuing our series on uh, the Minor Prophets, and we're in Zephaniah tonight. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Zephaniah, it's almost to the end of the Old Testament. Uh, We're working on it, and we'll be there. We've got about three or four uh, Minor Prophets left, and we will uh, wrap these uh, up and then move on to maybe a different series or do something a little different after that on Sunday evenings. Uh, I do want to make sure everybody's aware of it. It snuck up on me, so I haven't talked about it much, and I don't know that many people have talked about it. The next Sunday night is the uh, second Sunday Singing and Finger Food Fellowship. We did that back in January. Uh, and we had a good numbers and shared a lot of COVID, apparently. Uh, but, but, uh, and then we did not have it in February because that was Super Sunday, so we did not have the second Sunday singing. But the plan is, again, the plan is every second Sunday of the month, unless there's something else going on, that we will meet over in the small auditorium and uh, we'll have uh, song requests, hopefully. We'll have a number of different song leaders uh, that will lead these songs. And then we'll have a, a devotional period. I'm excited that Ryan Risher is uh, reminding and excited that Ryan Risher has that devotional uh, uh, next Sunday night, so looking forward to, uh, to him doing that, and glad that we can do that. So be prepared for that, bring some finger food, we'll meet the fellowship hall after our uh, time of singing and devotional, and uh, we'll spend some more time together getting to know each other and helping each other. Uh, and of course, we'll announce that on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, and it'll be in the update, so uh, hopefully more than uh, just us will be there, hopefully all of us will be there as well. Uh, Zephaniah, what do you know about Zephaniah? Probably, maybe like most of the minor prophets, probably not a whole lot. Uh, and even Zephaniah, out of the Minor Prophets, we know in some ways even a little less than him. Outside of the book that bears his name, we know very little about him. But thankfully, his book tells us a good bit about his background. Let me set the stage for you about the author and the audience and, and what's going on here. And then we're going to look at Zephaniah chapter 3 especially. Uh, and in reality, I'm going to read you about 17 verses. I'm going to make a few comments Uh, And we're going to allow the word and mostly to speak for itself tonight. But Zephaniah, who is this man? Who is this prophet? Uh, Again, outside this book, we know very little about him, but his book, this book tells us a lot. Uh, His father was a second cousin of King Josiah. You know King Josiah, the guy who became king when he was eight years old. We'll talk more about him in just a few minutes. Uh, His grandfather was a cousin of King Ammon. His great-grandfather was the brother of King Manasseh. He, he himself, Zephaniah, was third cousins to at least three kings, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, and Zechariah. And his great-great-grandfather was possibly King Hezekiah of Judah. So what does that tell us about Zephaniah? He, of any of the prophets of the Old Testament, is extremely familiar with the royal court. Uh, he probably ate at the king's table regularly. He probably uh, was in the palace and around royalty frequently. So that's the, the kind of setting that he comes from. And isn't it interesting when we think about the, uh, the number of writers, the 40 or so writers uh, that we have in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that they're all just so different. You have some that are kings, you have some that are farmers, you have some that are shepherds, you have some that, like Zephaniah, who, who is very familiar with the royal court, and then you have some people who had just, you know, they're just common, old, regular people. But God has used people of all different 
circumstance and all different station uh, to bring us his word. Now the setting is Judah, uh, the kingdom of Judah during the reign of King Josiah. Okay, so remember he has somewhat, somehow related to King Josiah. Uh, I love the story of King Josiah. I was re- reading and recognizing, and we're going to read about King Josiah here in a minute in Second Kings, uh, a little bit about what he did. And we've got to be impressed, right? He comes, he becomes king. He's, he's from a pretty long line of pretty rotten kings, okay? And then for some reason, and we really don't know why, when he becomes king at eight years old, he, out of this long line of people that time after time after time, it says about this king, he did what was evil on the side of the Lord. About King Josiah, it says in Second Kings 22 and verse 2, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father, not his actual father, but down the line, his forefather, David. Nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. King Josiah was a good man. King Josiah was a good follower of God. And it's during this time, and we'll read a little bit about it here again in 2 Kings 22, if you want to, 2 Kings 23, if you want to turn there, uh, we'll, we'll be there shortly. Uh, but, but he leads a, a temple restoration. So uh, the temple had, uh, had fallen into disrepair. Uh, the, the people had become idol worshipers to the extent that the temple of God, that beautiful temple that was built, uh, had fallen into disrepair. And, and not only that, we learn that as they're going into the temple and they're repairing and rebuilding and cleaning up and making it a place where they can worship God again, they find their Bible. They find the scrolls of God. Think about how bad it had gotten in, in Jerusalem. It had gotten in Jerusalem for the people of God to have lost the word of God. They had gone so far away from doing things God's way that they didn't even know where their Bible was. Now, all of us stray from time to time. All of us have times when we, when we go off and maybe we're, we're doing things that we ought not to do. We're failing to do things that we should. But, but generally, probably even in those moments, you know where your Bible is. You might have stuffed it in somewhere so you, so you don't think about it, but you know where your Bible is. But for generation after generation, king after king after king... These people had turned so far away from God that they didn't even know where the word of God was. In his 18th year as king, he leads a temple restoration project. They find the word of God and he leads a repentance. And it tells us there in 2 Kings chapter 23, let's read verses 21 through 27. Then the king, Josiah, commanded all the people saying, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. Surely such a Passover has not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. He says, we haven't done this in a long, long time. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Passover was observed to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah removed the mediums and the spiritists and the uh, teraphim and the idols and the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might confirm the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. What is he saying there? He says, we're reading what God says, and then he leads them in doing what God says. We have to be impressed by King Josiah. Verse 25, before him there was no king like him. Do you hear that? There was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might, according to the word of the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. He says there was no better king before him and there was no better king after him. Verse 26, however, however, and here's a painful part for Josiah, However, the Lord did not turn away from, his, from the fierceness of his great wrath, which his anger burned against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. 
The Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cut off Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen, and the temple which I said my name shall be there. So King Manasseh, again, someone else who he was related to in previous generations, he had led the people so far away that even though King Josiah, with all of his heart and with all of his mind and with all of his strength, led the people and tried to turn the people as best he could, God said, Josiah, I really appreciate that. And he goes on to say in the next few verses, I I appreciate it so much that I'm not going to bring this destruction upon Judah while you're still its king, while you're still alive. But it's still coming. Of course, that teaches us as we think about lessons from the minor prophets, that teaches us that there are consequences to our actions. There are consequences here, now, and today on the earth. And there certainly are eternal consequences for the things that we say and the things that we do. God tried to, or Josiah tried to turn the people to God, and for a long time, he did. But even Josiah's great example wasn't enough. And God still had great reason. It wasn't as if God said, okay, Josiah, I know you're, you're, all these people are repenting and they're turning to me and, and I know they're going to they're gonna be my people again and they're going to be great and they're going to be faithful, but even though they're faithful, I'm still going to punish them. Now, the reality was that the reform that King Josiah instated didn't last. It didn't last past his own life. His sons, Jehoahaz, Jehoachin, and Jehoiakim, all did evil in the sight of the Lord. As a matter of fact, those three men serve in quick succession as kings following them, one of them for a very short time after, uh, after which he is killed by those who are against him. And, and the whole land again turns to evil. And God sends, as he said that he would, the Egyptians, the Chaldeans, the Armenians, the, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and eventually the Babylonians against Judah, all of these leading to her captivity. So what do we get out of Zephaniah? Uh, it's similar to a story we, we talked about recently where, you know, all this, this great thing happens, but then it still doesn't matter in the long run. And for Josiah, you feel bad for Josiah. You feel bad for all of those Old Testament prophets that were preaching and preaching and preaching and, and, and leading and, and encouraging and helping repent that a lot of times their efforts didn't really last. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Zephaniah chapter 3. I want us to read verses 1 through 14. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. This may be a, a thought that we may have, certainly, uh, that we, we must struggle with in some ways. Uh, the nation of America is a great nation. There's nowhere else on the entire planet that I would ever want to live. Uh, and, and our nation was founded upon Christian principles. And we appreciate that. I do think it's a mistake to say that, that we've ever been a Christian nation. Uh, God has no nation but the church today. He has no kingdom but the church today. But I appreciate the, the principles and the ideals that were based in Christianity that were the foundational principles of this nation. But even still, we must see that our nation that was founded upon Christian principles is not still maintaining those Christian principles. Not in our government as a whole. Not in the people of our nation as a whole. And more and more people are drawing further away from God than are drawing closer to God. And what does that tell us? Well, we as the church, the kingdom of God here on earth, we've got a lot of work to do. And we need to call people to Jesus. And there are plenty of opportunity. Certainly the fields are white for harvest. There's plenty of opportunity for us to to do these things. But sometimes that may be frustrating. 
Sometimes it may be frustrating to think about and to think about that my neighbors and my friends and my family, they're not getting closer to God and our nation is not getting closer to God. It's getting further and further away from God and there's no individual certainly and probably any multiple uh, elections that are going to fix that. Hope that it does. Hope that we turn back to God in big ways. But I don't put my hope and my trust there. I put my hope and trust in Jesus. Whether this nation or the world, or this community, turns away from God or not, should not affect my faithfulness to him. In Zephaniah chapter 3, facing a world that had turned away from God, facing a nation that had turned away from God, God tells them punishment is coming. He tells them the reason punishment is coming, and he provides hope for them. And I want these words to speak to you tonight, and we'll make a few comments as we walk through. Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the tyrannical city, talking about Jerusalem. She heeded no voice. She accepted no instruction. She did not trust in the Lord. She did not draw near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves at evening. They leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets, even the religious people, her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous within her. Do you know what what that said? He says the leaders, the government leaders. He says the people, everybody in the town. He says the spiritual leaders, they have all turned away from me. But what does it say about God? The Lord is righteous. When all others are unrighteous, when all others are unfaithful, when all others are ungodly, God is still God. God is still good. And God is still worthy of us following him. Going on in verse 5. He will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. Then he goes, says in verse 6, I have cut off the nations. So here we see uh, he started out with, and, and even in previous chapters, he talks about the nations and how he's going to punish the nations. But in chapter 3, he says, even Jerusalem, even Judah is going to be punished. But he reminds us back again uh, in verse 6, I have cut off the nations. So the nations, all the Gentiles, all the people who have never known God, uh, never chosen to know God, have not accepted God, followed God ever before, God's going to punish them. But he also says, in Judah, because you've turned away from me, you've turned so far away from me, I'm going to punish you as well. Their corner towers are in ruins. I have made their streets desolate with no one passing by. Their cities are laid waste without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will revere me. Accept instruction so her dwelling will not be cut off according to all that I have appointed concerning her. But they were eager to corrupt all their deeds. He says, look what I've done to the nations. I've punished all these people. And he says, in hopes... In hopes, Judah, in hopes, Jerusalem, that you would come back to me. But you haven't. You've continued to turn away from me. You've continued to do things that you know you ought not do. Verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision, he says, my final decision, it says, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, and to do what? To pour out on them my indignation and my burning anger. For all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. All right, so, so we stop there and we say, okay, what's God say that he's going to do about unrighteousness? What's God say that he's going to do about evil? What's God say that he's going to do about unrepentant sin? He says it's going to be punished. Certainly, people who are not his followers and have never been his followers, they'll be punished. But the warning to us today is, if we are spiritual Israel... 
as Scripture teaches us that we are, if we're the kingdom of God, the church today, we need to be careful and we need to be wary that we're not turning away from God too because if they aren't going to escape, there's no way that we will escape. If we know the truth and the truth has set us free and we've turned back to sin and to ungodliness, there's no way that we will escape the punishment. Hebrews talks about that as well. But he tells us the why. Not only, he's not just that, that God is just punishing because they deserve it. It's not just that God is, is punishing just to punish. Notice what it says in verse 9. For then I will give to the peoples. Again, that's the nations. That's the Gentiles. That's everyone. I will give to the peoples purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. Well, there's some familiar words there. There's some familiar ideas there that should be a, an encouragement to us. Uh, a phrase that, you, that Scripture talks about and that you've probably heard at some point in a Bible class or a sermon is this idea of a faithful remnant. A faithful uh, amount of people who, even though when everybody else turns away, there are still some, and sometimes it may be few, but there are still some who are faithful. Some who still put their trust in God. Some who still trust God so much that they listen to what he says that we should do and we strive to do our best to do what he says that we should do. But here he says it's not just going to be in Judah. He says all the nations, all the peoples, I'm going to give them purified lips. God sometimes, and, and it's hard for us other than when scripture tells us hey, that's exactly what he's doing, but God clearly in, in scripture, we have this precedent that God uses punishment to straighten us out. God uses punishment to get our attention. God uses things that, that are bad sometimes, allowing us to, to reap the consequences of our actions to kind of shake us and wake us up a little bit and say, hey, you need to live a different way. But even then, even when he's punishing us, even though we, we may justly deserve it, the point is not the punishment. The point is purification. He wants us to come back to him. He wants us to have that right relationship with him. Again, verse 9, For then I will give the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. Well, that idea of calling on the name of the Lord, that certainly in our fellowship should be something that sounds familiar, right? The idea of calling on the name of the Lord in Romans chapter 10, it says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, quoting from Acts chapter 2, quoting from Joel chapter 2, the idea of calling on the name of the Lord. And then we read about Paul in, in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 that we know what calling on the name of the Lord is biblically. That's baptism. This is important stuff that we should know. If you're unfamiliar with that, come talk to me later and I'll review it with you. But calling on the name of the Lord, according to Scripture, is we call on the name of the Lord in baptism. That's how Paul did it when he was Saul, when he became a Christian. That's what he was told to do. So he's talking about all these people that everybody from every nation, every corner of the world, they may be punished and they may suffer consequences for their actions, but the purpose is that we can come, and notice what it says, to serve God shoulder to shoulder, side by side. It goes on in verse 10. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones, will bring my offerings. In that day, you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove them from your midst, your proud, exultant ones, and you will never again be haughty on my mountain. But, verse 12, here it is, and here's what we as God's people today, maybe this is the most important thing for us. But I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies. 
nor will have a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. For they will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. And then he tells us what that should bring us. The fact that, that in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, the midst of a, a world that is going further and further away from God, a nation, a community, maybe our own families from time to time, going further and further away from God, to know that there are still some who are faithful and that you can be a part of that. You can be a part of the faithful remnant. Notice the, the response in verse 14. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. So he's talking to Jerusalem. He's talking to Judah. He's talking to his people. The, the Israelites, the, the northern kingdom, they've already been taken. Uh, Judah, Jerusalem, that, those, that small kingdom is left. He says, you're going to be punished. All the people around you are going to be punished. I'm going to use them to punish you. And, and there's just a whole lot of punishment going on. And it's all just, and it's all needed, and it's, it's, it's not going to be stopped. There's nothing they can do at this point. But he says, but there are some who will be faithful. Not only from my people, but also people in the world that will wake up and through difficult times will seek me and will find me and will serve me shoulder to shoulder with all of us. Church, that's a message we need to remember. Family, that's, that's a message we need to carry with us. The importance of making sure that we are faithful to God's word. Faithful to God's word above anything else. Everything else. Knowing, yes, that there, there may be and certainly will be many people who are anything but faithful to God's word. We need to do the right thing. Do the things the scriptures tell us to do. With the right heart, with the right mind, and with the right focus. And to be encouraged that when we see maybe everything else uh, giving way, that we still have hope in God. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we come to you again. Uh, Lord, we, we live in a world that, um, that we know that is just full of people who oftentimes don't seem interested in, in you um, or don't know you at all and, and therefore don't, don't live godly lives. Uh, Lord, we know that it's tempting sometimes for us to have the mindset and the attitude of we're holier than thou. We're holier than the people around us because we know God and we strive to, to live godly lives. And, and Lord, that, that's a good thing to strive to live godly lives, but it's not a good thing to have that kind of attitude. Lord, help us to recognize we're just as lost as everybody else. We've just found the answer. And Lord, help us to share that answer with everyone we come in contact with, God. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Lord, when, when difficult times come, as they will at some point in our lives, help us to be faithful. Help us to be a family here that uh, enjoys and being together and enjoys worshiping and enjoys serving and enjoys living and enjoys following you as one. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who gives us the hope of heaven and we pray that, we pray that you will help us to, to follow him diligently and purposefully every day of our lives, God. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, tonight, church, the, the challenge is simple. Uh, tomorrow... Tonight, before you leave this building, there may be an opportunity or a temptation or a challenge or a difficulty that comes your way. Uh, who are you going to choose to follow? It's easier not to follow God. Far easier. Uh, to just do what you want to do, to do what everybody else is doing. And again, you can do whatever you want to do.
but you can't do whatever you want to do and go to heaven or be a follower of Jesus or live the Christian life. And I trust that each of us want to go to heaven, want to follow Jesus, and want to live the Christian life. And that we're here to help each other do that. If you have needs, wants, or desires, or need prayers, and you want to let us know those things, we would appreciate it. If you're interested in becoming a Christian and starting your journey towards heaven tonight, we want to help you in whatever way we can. If you have any needs, please come as we stand and sing.